0: welcome to the room, everybody the og3 are together and it feels good finally i know it feels like we just can't get schedules to the line and that's just how this time of year works and uh side note we're gonna be in person next week see each other all in person hugs all around as long as we don't have another snowstorm that's gonna be fun as well uh today is mailbag episode we have mail more questions
1: episode.
0: yes more questions coming in and as is tradition i think we start with emily is that is that we're just gonna do that every time now i think
1: um uh, sure you know yeah emily like i first. am number one so we might as she's, well just do me first i guess
2: probably the most important one here so i guess she's,
1: we gotta start rich. with her yeah guys are just music to my ears today i love it
0: okay here we go so again this is going to stay anonymous by request um just because a little delicate situation i'm not even going to tell you where in the state we are okay so this person emails and says that we have two employees on our farm that just don't get along they don't have to work together often but when they do it goes very poorly and it seems to affect other employees and it even affects when people feel like they can take vacations cuz they're scared to leave a fellow employee having to work with these two people together any advice
1: oof that one it's a doozy it's a doozy for sure you know and and i can see where this is getting to be more and more complex especially now that it's impacting other employees as well and you know that can be a really sticky situation to be in, and I am going to say first and foremost, I am by no means a, a conflict resolution expert, but you know I I certainly have some ideas about this, and and I may be giving some advice that that this farmer has already tried, uh, but my guess is there's maybe some other people listening that have had some similar situations, and you know I think if if this is something you are able to do and if the employees agree to it you know have some conversations with them separately try try to get if you can to the heart of what the problem really is right and also just learning a little more and diving a little deeper into you know what's important to these employees my my guess and i don't know for sure right the conflict might be coming from you know, them just having different goals or, you know, have placing different priority on different things. And so it might be helpful, again, to sit down with them one at a time and and just learn a little more about, you know, what their goals are, how they view how they fit into the farm, um, you know, and and if you're able to kind of ask them about that other employee or, you know, why why they feel they they don't work very well together it it certainly sounds like these are are two good employees, you know, not employees you would want to let go of, but you absolutely need to be addressing these interpersonal issues that are happening. You also have an opportunity to you know just speak with all of your employees, confirm to them that that you know they they need to do what they need to do that Perhaps telling them you're working on the situation. you know, you don't want it to be causing them stress. and And, you know, for me, all these issues really come back to communication. You know, communicating individually with your employees, communicating things to your employees as a whole overall. um, you know, and and maybe there is an opportunity to to get those two employees to to sit down and talk to one another, right? We we don't have all the information, so so we don't know for sure what the underlying issue may be, and and perhaps this farmer also doesn't know, right? Um, but I think yeah, really speaking to to the two people individually, as individuals, right, and and taking focus off the conflict and really just putting, you know, the focus on them of, you know, what are your goals? How, you know, where do you see yourself fitting in on this farm? And, you know, are, are there issues that, that I can help you address to to make your time at this farm better Then they might bring up the conflict themselves that way too. Um, but I think, you know, it's a matter of probably some, some communication or miscommunication and, and now, an an inability to communicate further to to fix the issue. So is a tough one. There's no textbook perfect answer that I can give you. Um, but but I think your best chance right now, your best opportunity, is to just talk to each of those employees and, you know, learn a little more about them and and a little more again about how how they view themselves at your farm. Um, and maybe there you can get a better idea of of what's working and what's not
0: makes total sense to me i i know that that this is why we take these questions and we give them to emily because brad and i couldn't have answered that in a way that would have have been uh helpful i would i would guess i i really don't like it when employees have uh effects on other employees and i think that's that's the like the really like one of the big lines in the sand for me But when I've had that situation in the past with people that that I've overseen, even just making them aware that they're affecting other people because of how they're acting with each other, uh, sometimes that can be a real eye, eye opener that it's like, this is bad enough that other people are being affected. And even that alone can be like, well, yeah, maybe we should really figure this out or take a step back and calm it down at least a little bit so that because they're maybe they've been doing it for so long that they don't even know that they're affecting other people at this point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point, Joe as well. Is you know, just do they have that awareness of of how much their situation is impacting the other employees there? Yeah, I I think that that's a good way to look at it as well. And I I always appreciate getting the tough questions.
0: That's that's why we give them to you. All right, Bradley, you are up. This is a topic that just doesn't go away, apparently. We did uh an episode quite a while ago about interceding grasses and alfalfa mixes, and the emails just keep coming in. Uh this one is from our friend down in Iowa, Kevin Dietzel. And He's just making some comments, basically saying that he's tried interceding Italian rye grass and other perennial grasses into alfalfa stands a few times. And it's been fairly limited results where he had some challenges with potentially some other grasses that had already filled in the gaps. So his attempt to intercede didn't go very well. He had one time where he's pretty sure the drilling itself might have damaged the alfalfa stand. His His last comment is he's had good luck when he mixes things at a new seeding Uh, but interseeding hasn't had great luck but he has used italian ryegrass as a nurse crop instead of oats and you get less bulk but you get a larger harvest window which he's found uh, is very very helpful with a busy schedule so any comments on that brad well
2: i i agree alfalfa is a very resilient crop and it can withstand a lot of damage hoof traffic tractor traffic you name it and sometimes it it happens it's happened here in in morris where we've tried to you know intercede into some alfalfa and it just doesn't work or it's spotty at best you know it depends on obviously there's weather how well the alfalfa stand is how old it is and I agree. It it is a tough one with alfalfa. If There's a lot of alfalfa. Sometimes it might be better just to rip it up and start over again. Maybe like Kevin is saying with uh, Italian ryegrass and and using it as a, a a nurse crop. And you know, we're I'm gonna try it this spring. We're I, I i got my Italian ryegrass and I'm gonna put it in some new seeding into a pasture mixed it with some other things, but then I'm going into an alfalfa field and see what happens. If I can put Italian ryegrass in, in there and maybe I'll see the same thing that Kevin has said, and it will be disappointing, which probably will happen because that's usually what happens. But I, I, I think he makes a good point that yeah, interceding into alfalfa can be a, can be a challenge. It can be a challenge. And I don't think there's a, a right or wrong answer. Um obviously it depends on the field. You know, it can be one field on the farm can it can work well, and the next field it's just totally different because of stand persistence and interceding into alfalfa. If you yep, it if you're no-tilling into the alfalfa, it's gonna yeah, you're gonna drill through the crowns and you're 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 gonna damage the alfalfa. But that's point of it. That, that's that's somewhat of the point of that is is interceding grasses with it is to maybe damage it a little bit so it gives the italian ryegrass or other grass species a chance to compete against the alfalfa because alfalfa will outcompete things definitely so i don't know yeah. if i gave a great answer to that but it,
0: it, I, I agree with kevin i agree yeah it's uh th- this topic continues to happen and I, I really all that it comes back to is bradley just needs to try a bunch of things and see what works uh, for him and then we can have some more information because we had another email come in uh, from our friend Joe Lawrence out in New York who's been on the show before and his comments he had a, lot, a bunch of them but the ones that I'll pull out were that uh, where he sees it in New York is that a lot of farmers plant mixes because the alfalfa doesn't persist in some of the poor drained areas and that's where the grass can can make it and so he said that that works well, but he did note that that is on bigger farms where they have bunkers and there's less issues with variability uh, when they're chopping that. But he did say that the other issue that they've encountered a lot when they they have these interseeded or mixed fields is that there is a huge difference in uh, the variability between cuttings. So each cutting is highly variable. So some some more comments. And I, I feel like we're just gonna have to do another full episode on this to really figure out what's going on before Brad does research and then after Brad tries some things out too.
2: Well, I got a whole bunch of seed that showed up to Morris this week. Italian ryegrass, orchard grass, fescue clovers, alfalfa, you name it. We're gonna try some of this stuff for some of my grazing projects this summer. You know, last fall, I took a pasture and sort of let the cows just feed on it uh, so I can reseed it. It was kind of a pasture that was dwindling in pasture production. It was growing more thistles than it should, and it needed some help. So we're going into that one with Italian rye and some legumes to see if we can uh, sort of reestablish uh, some of the grasses and legumes there. So I guess stay tuned. We'll find out once the snow melts here, we'll be planting it. And hopefully by early spring or June, we'll have figured out whether it worked or not, at least when things start growing.
0: Perfect. All right. The last one is for me. And this, uh, this is quite the chain of questions. And I don't think we have time to get into the, the whole thing today because it's kind of a can of worms. And the question was about mycoplasma and cattle and feedlot cattle. Where does it come from? Does it transfer from animal to animal? How do we treat it? How do we prevent it? All of those things. And that's a big topic. And one where we'll probably have to take a week to uh, look at research and all the the data that's out there to to have a great picture on what's going on. But in general, when we're talking about mycoplasma in cattle, it's uh, a highly debated topic in the veterinary community about where it comes from, how it causes illness in cattle and what are the triggers and all these things. And in general, there's there's two different sides to the argument. In my opinion, most of the data points to stress or some sort of other insult allowing uh, mycoplasma to take over. So by itself, mycoplasma doesn't, in my opinion, cause disease without something else happening now there's a whole host of other things that can happen that allows mycoplasma to take over and it can be as simple as uh not having enough pen space or not having enough bunk space or having not enough bunk space and then having 20 inches of snow come down uh weather changes feed changes uh, a viral insult first uh, poor ventilation there's the list goes on and on and on Mycoplasma is unique. And usually what we see is both a combination of pneumonias and then joint issues as well. So the the mycoplasma travels to the joint, you get lame cattle. Usually it's uh, several different joints in the same animal. They get incredibly lame. Those joints get incredibly big. And then when you open these cattle up, their lungs are consolidated with basically micro abscesses all over the lungs. It looks like the lungs have just a they're covered in pimples, basically, is what it looks like. It's really pretty gross. Without getting too deep into this subject, and we'll we'll take time on a later episode to do that, mycoplasma is a combination of stress and avoiding the insults that would allow mycoplasma to set up shop. So that's that's the goal, is to reduce stress in every way and avoid these other things that allow mycoplasma to set up. That's how you prevent mycoplasma. One of the things that's unfortunate about it is that one of the things that can set up mycoplasma to to happen, to take over to to cause issues is previous lung injury. So treatments that happened potentially before you acquired these cattle or diseases that happened before you acquired these cattle that that's something it's like in, it's almost impossible to know about, right? If you're getting cattle at eight hundred pounds and ten percent of them had, A pretty serious pneumonia event when they were 500 pounds they might look totally normal and completely healthy and unless you have treatment records for that group you're going to have no idea that 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 those cattle are potentially at risk for a mycoplasma issue so it's a really complicated subject it takes a lot to run down i see it as more of a systems issue where we have to be on site at that feed lot to really go over everything to figure it out so that's kind of, kind of where I'm at. I'm not going to talk about vaccines today. That's a whole nother debate. And then treatment, also not going to talk about today because we get a little extra label with some of the stuff we do, and I don't, I don't want to do that on the podcast. And that's something you need to talk to your, your veterinarian about. Brad, unmuted for a second. I don't know if he has a comment on that piece.
2: Yeah, it seems like mycoplasma is always one of those nebulous things that we don't really know where it came from, and it can just pop up immediately and there's not one specific treatment or thing that we can do and it seems like we need to almost have like a full episode of on mycoplasma once and just talk about it because it's it's one that, that comes up every now and again on on dairies and it's like well I don't I don't know where it came from or we don't know what happens and but yeah a lot of the things that you are pointing out sort of lead us back to well that's okay that stress event or something is what maybe caused it.
0: And when we're talking about respiratory mycoplasma, uh, we haven't even scratched the surface yet on the other issues, especially when we get to mastitis, because that's a whole nother nightmare to figure out on a dairy with mycoplasma mastitis. So yeah, that might we might have two episodes brewing here t- just talking about mycoplasma, maybe three if we get into the vaccine discussion there's a lot going on there. So hopefully we gave you a taste on my thoughts on that. Um, most of it is is source and reducing stress. That's how you prevent mycoplasma, which I know is a very vague thing to say, but uh, that that's what it is. It's a complicated issue. All right. Last thoughts from my teammates here.
2: Here's the last point. I was in Kansas city last week. If you're ever in Kansas city, you got to go find the Hereford bowl in downtown Kansas city that the American Hereford association donated and you can see it, it towers over the city. So there's my plug for Hereford today. If you get a chance in Kansas city, go check out the Hereford
0: bowl.
1: (coughs) That's a great uh, closing thought, Bradley. Thanks for that.
0: (laughs) All right. Herefords and Jersey's are the best we will move on from there. Emily, please wrap us up.
1: Mm, yes. Well, if you have any questions, comments, or scathing rebuttals about today's episode, or if you have a question you would like us to address on a future mailbag episode of The Moose Room, you can email those to Room at umn.edu.
0: That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu.
1: You can also call and leave us a voicemail at 612-624-3610. You can find us on Twitter at UMN Moose Room and you can find us on the web at extension.umn.edu. Bye. Bye. Whole Holsteins for life.
0: Mm, that'll get cut.
1: <gasps> Rude.